Okay, so this morning we're in Nehemiah chapter 5, and uh, we'll be starting in verse 9, but uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the um, amazing things that we can find there, uh, things, uh, items of prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, all those things that you've given to us. Yeah, we thank you now for this this morning for uh, Nehemiah. We pray that as we go through this book, we'll uh, see your provisions that you made for your people uh, when they uh, had their financial difficulties. And we also see Nehemiah using the wisdom that you gave him uh, to take care of some uh, serious uh, social and economic problems <clears throat> in, in Jerusalem and Judah. Uh, open our hearts to understand these things this morning as we go through your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, now we uh, skipped last week because I think there were three of us here, all told with people being gone and sickness. and <laughs> So you didn't miss anything. Um, let's start reading, and we'll do Nehemiah chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 through 13. Nehemiah Chapter 5, 1 through 13. Now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore, let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were also those who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. Still others were saying, We have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their children. Yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not for our power to help it, for our for other men who have fields and our vineyards. And I became very angry when I heard their outcry in these words. Again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of the, our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? Moreover, <clears throat> I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exact purpose. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also, the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. And I called the priest and made them swear to do as they had promised. I also shook out the folds of my robe and said, In this way may God shake out their house and possessions. Anyone who does not keep this promise, so may such a person be shaken out and emptied. At this the whole assembly said, Amen. 
and praised the Lord, and the people did as, as they had promised. Okay. So this chapter, uh, chapter 5, deals with, it's, it's stuck right in the middle of, uh, between 4 and 6, where it talks about rebuilding the walls. But it's, it's a whole different topic, and it, we're not sure that it chronologically, if this is where it belongs. So it may be something that interrupted um, the rebuilding of Jerusalem and the walls. Um, you know, that's where it's placed as far as physically in the book, uh, but it may have happened later. Uh, the problem that the Jews were facing at this time was they were under a lot of economic pressure. It mentions famine, they didn't have enough grain, that makes the prices go up, so food became very, very expensive. It talks about the king's taxes. They were heavily taxed. And if this occurred while they were rebuilding the walls, you have people who leave their normal job to go and work on the walls without getting paid. So they had no income and lots of expenses. So there's a lot of economic pressure on them. What that results in is um, they need to borrow money or they need to borrow grain to feed themselves, to buy grain. There are those who uh, have to mortgage their property. And then others who, you know, they, they can't just borrow because they have no property, they have nothing to offer up as surety or collateral. They have to sell themselves as bond slaves in order to have food. And it's the, the issue comes from uh, the loans and the bond slave uh, regulations that are being violated. It says they cry out against their Jewish brothers. So you've got a wealthy class who have the money, they're loaning it to the poor, or they're taking them in as bond slaves, <coughs> and basically they're abusing the poor. So it starts with economic problems and then develops into social issues. Um, and so uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Nehemiah has heard uh, this outcry. Uh, he, he investigates it, and we see his response. Uh, in verse 6, he says, I was very angry when I heard this. So he's just furious that this is going on. Um, and so we did see that he took the time so he talked to himself, he thought about it, and then he began to act. Um, and he contended with the nobles and the rulers. So the, it was the ruling class that really was doing this. So he had to deal with them. And he basically says, you're exacting usury each from his brother. This is charging interest on the loans. The Mosaic Law prohibited Jews from charging interest when they loaned money to other Jews. So this was a violation of the Mosaic Law. Pretty clear. Um, and then in verse 8 it talks about um, they're selling their Jewish brothers to the nations, or they're selling their Jewish brothers uh, to others. And that was another thing that was prohibited by the law. You could take in a... a, a another Jew as a bond servant to help him pay off his loan but you couldn't buy and sell them that was prohibited so at the end of verse 8 it says they were silent and could not find a word to say 
So Nehemiah had charged them with this charge. Um, the other thing we saw at the end of verse 7, it says, I held a great assembly against them. Typically, when you had a violation of the law, the parties would go to the city gate and they'd sit there with the elders and possibly the priests who would then render judgment. Well, in this case, it was the, the rulers who typically sat as judges were the ones who were guilty. So who could Nehemiah bring them to? He couldn't bring them to a, There was no higher court. This was, you know, it was the high court that was um, in violation of the law. So he held a great assembly, which means he, all the people came. He basically prosecuted them in front of the people of the land. And before they were the, like the jury that would render uh, judgment. And, you know, his statements were so clear and, and the evidence so outstanding. He, they had no defense. You know, they were clearly in violation of the law. They knew it. Everybody knew it. And so this morning we're starting in verse 9, um, in which he's continuing to, in, in a sense, prosecute the case. He says, again, I said, the thing which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of our God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And I can see where, you know, Nehemiah is the governor, and these are the rulers who he has to deal with. So on the one hand, he's being pretty blunt about their, you know, the, the crimes they've committed. But on the other hand, he doesn't want to insult them. He doesn't need to do that. And, you know, looking at the wording, you know, what you're doing is not good. That's kind of a nice way of saying it. It's like I might tell someone, well, you know, I see what you're doing, but I don't think that's wise. That's a lot nicer than saying, you idiot. <laughs> Which I, you know, what you're doing is stupid. You know, that's, that's an insult. Saying they're not wise is a nice way of telling them that they're an idiot, I guess. <laughs> so, so Nehemiah is, is, you know, again, uh, Proverbs says a, a soft answer turns away wrath. He doesn't want to antagonize them because these are the leaders he has to work with. Um, so he's clearly stated uh, that they were charging interest which was a violation of the law uh, selling slaves another possible problem is that they were not releasing uh, the debt servants after six years this is what the law required let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 34 and we'll, we'll be looking at this chapter again later. Jeremiah chapter 34. And verse 9. Would someone like to read that for us? Everyone was to free their Hebrew slaves, both male and female. No one was to follow to hold a fellow Hebrew in bondage. Okay. So this was, Jeremiah was a prophet in Israel while Nebuchadnezzar was attacking Jerusalem. So this is before they went into captivity, and he's telling them one of the things that they've been doing wrong and what they ought to do about it. So they were holding uh, 
Hebrew men and women captive. They should have been releasing them. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 21. We will keep going back and looking at the law to see precisely what it says. Exodus chapter 21, someone like to read verse 2 for us. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go free for nothing. Okay. Six years of service, then you let him go. You don't hang on to him. Now this is not specifically stated here as a problem in Nehemiah's time, but it's something that they had been doing you know, prior to the captivity. So it's very possible that they were also doing this. But uh, in this verse, Nehemiah gives them a couple of reasons uh, that they ought to obey God concerning lending money and um, handling their bond slaves. Uh, first is the fear of the Lord. Respect God, respect his uh, sovereignty, respect his rules, respect his law. And, you know, a lot of times the primary uh, meaning of fear means respect. But, you know, I think it should also include the idea of just outright fear. We just read Jeremiah chapter 34, where, you know, they were being condemned for what they were doing. Um, what was the consequence? Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem. Many of them died. They were deported for 70 years. That's how God dealt with that. They should have been afraid of that happening again. We had talked a little bit going through the book of Ezra when they were uh, intermarrying with the foreign nations. I think part of Ezra's concern was, this is one of the reasons we went into captivity. Let's not let this happen again. Stop doing this. Um, so there should be some outright fear. Uh, the other one is to avoid the reproach of their enemies. So the nations around them could see the wealthy Jews basically abusing their fellow Jews. And they probably ridiculed them for that. You know, you're supposed to be the people of God and this is the way you treat your fellow Jew. Um, you know, the church today, we get, we get a public black eye every time there's a, a scandal in a church. You know, and the unbelievers love that. Gives them an excuse for ridiculing Christians. And then our, our neighbors over here watch and ask questions about what's going on. Uh -huh. What's going on? You know, are you following the law or whatever? Right. We know them pretty well. And, uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Are, are we a bunch of hypocrites? Well, these Jews were. You know, they say, you know, we honor God, but we don't obey the law. So, gives them an opening for attack. Okay, so going on to verse 10. It says, and likewise, I, my brothers and my servants, are lending them money and grain. Please let us leave off this usury. <coughs> So here Nehemiah uh, says that he and those with him, his party, are also lending money and grain to the poor. So, you know, in a way he's kind of um, showing some uh, empathy, I guess, or showing that he's, he's a, a little bit in the same boat as the people he's condemning. 
you know, you're, you're wealthy, you're lending, we are too. So we're kind of in the same boat, but there's some differences. Um, but this verse tells us uh, several things. Uh, one is that Nehemiah and, and those with him are part of the wealthy <coughs> class. You know, they have sufficient money, they have sufficient grain that they can lend to others. Uh, secondly, being wealthy in itself is not wrong. Nehemiah was not wrong for, the, for being wealthy. Uh, the problem we see from Scripture is, how did you become wealthy? Did you cheat people to do it? And then secondly, what are you doing with your wealth? Are you using it correctly? James is really tough on the wealthy. So let's turn to the New Testament book of James. We'll read a couple, read a couple passages there. Let's turn to chapter 2 to begin with. Someone like to read verses 5 and 6 for us. James chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eye of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Okay, so, so here first we see, you know, um, God does not despise the poor. He calls the poor to come into his kingdom. Um, but then, what, what does he say about the rich man? Aren't they the ones who uh, abuse you and drag you into court? So that's kind of the way he presents the wealthy. Uh, it's not in a very good light. Let's turn in James to chapter 5. And someone here like to read verses um, 1 through 6 for us. A little bit longer passage. Come now, you rich. <clears throat> Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and your corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person who does not resist you. Oh, this is pretty serious condemnation. They got wealthy by withholding wages from the laborers. Uh, they're just wasting the money on personal luxury. They're uh, oppressing the poor. Uh, basically, their trust is in their gold, not in God. And he sums it up by saying, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are going to come on you. you know, God will execute justice in the end. So this is a pretty serious condemnation of the wealthy. Now we'll contrast that with a good man who was rich in Matthew 27. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27, and would someone like to read verses 57 through 60? 
57 through 60. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen cloth and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out of the rock. And he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb and went away. And Mary Magdalene was there and the other Mary sitting opposite the grave. Okay. So here's Joseph of Arimathea. He's, he's wealthy, but he's a righteous man. You know, we're not told that he's not condemned for abusing the uh, laborers to build up his wealth. We don't know how he got wealthy, but he uses his wealth here. Um, he has a new tomb. He quickly uses it to bury the body of Christ. He's on the council of Jerusalem, and they're the ones who condemned Jesus as a um, blasphemer. So he's identifying with the convict. You know, so he's risking his wealth, he's risking his position in society to do what's right. So being wealthy is not necessarily wrong, although it often is, as James tells us. Okay, so back to uh, Nehemiah. Nehemiah is an example of a wealthy man who is also righteous. So... He's a good example. Now, the next thing we, we learn from these verses, lending is not bad in itself. It's actually was, it was allowed under the law. It was actually praised and encouraged. Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 15. Lending was part of God's way of taking care of the poor of the land. It was encouraged. So Deuteronomy 15, would someone like to read verses 7 through 11 for us? If anyone was poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight visit towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for canceling debts, is near, so that you do not show ill will towards the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you will be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them, and do so without a grudging heart. Then, because this is the Lord your God, will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. And verse 11 also, please. Yeah. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. Okay. So this is how, you, how God provided for those who were poor and needy. Those who had were to lend freely to them. And, and notice that the reference to the seventh year. He said, well, I, I can't loan money this year because next year I have to forgive the debt and they might not pay me back before then. So I'm going to hang on to my money. And God said, no, you lend them the money. They need it. You know, God said, I, in a sense, I blessed you so that you have the money to loan to them. 
because they're the ones who need it. The value um, would change by how far from that seventh year you are, too. Yeah. You know, if you have seven years or six years of doing something, you could afford to pay more if it's something yeah. that you only have one year. True. Um, ahead, you read verse 11. This, you know, I think, I can't remember where it is. Jesus says, you know, the poor you will have with you always. And that comes from verse 11. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. So there will always be poor. It's almost like God's giving us an opportunity to be gracious uh, through that. Um, let's look at Psalm 37. Psalm 37, someone like to read verses 25 and 26. I was young and now I am old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken for their children begging bread. And they, they are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be blessings. Okay, so it's talking about the righteous. And in verse 7, excuse me, 26, it says... All day long he is gracious and lends. So this is part of a, this is what a righteous man does. He lends to those who are in need. And finally, let's turn to Luke chapter 6. Jesus took a lot of commands from the Old Testament and he kind of expands on them. So Luke chapter 6 Someone would like to read verses 34 and 35 here. Luke 6, 34 and 35. If you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be the sons of the Most High. For he himself is kind and ungrateful and evil men. Okay. Lend expecting nothing back. Assume it's a gift. Maybe they'll pay you back, in which case you can be very surprised and happy about it. And he says, don't just, you know, sinners lend to sinners. You know, that's nothing special for a believer to do. Um, But, um, you know, lend freely to those who may not be able to pay you back, even if they're your enemy. So, Jesus sets the bar a little higher than we see even in the law. So then we got lending is, is okay. Um, going back to Nehemiah, one of the things that we've seen before uh, and that shows up here again uh, about lending is that charging interest to a fellow Jew is prohibited. You know, he says, uh, uh, right, he says, please let us leave off this usury. Now, we've, we've seen lots of verses already about that, so we're not going to look up any other verses. Um, so with the, at the end of the verse, you know, Nehemiah is saying, okay, let's stop this usury. Well, what exactly does that entail? And, and it's a little, at this point, it's not clear. Verse 11 helps clear this up. So verse 11, please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses. Also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, 
the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. So they were, these lenders were to give back most, if not all, of what they had taken from the poor. Um, if they had been lending according to the law, they would have taken nothing from the poor except perhaps some item to hold as collateral or as surety. That would have been it. They wouldn't have taken anything else. Um, and even, even the um, holding of collateral was regulated by the law. So let's, we're going to go through kind of step by step these different types of loans and things and, and look at the legal uh, restrictions. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. So we're going to start with the people who are, you know, they might not be poor, but they have cash flow issues. You know, I come from a farming background. You know, you get one paycheck a year. Sometimes in the spring, you need a loan from the bank to buy seed to plant. Well, when you harvest your crop in the fall, you pay the loan back. It's an operating loan. So, you know, it's not because you're poor, it's because of cash flow things. So, um, they, and they probably, the bank usually wants some kind of... Uh, Financial security, saying that, yeah, it's, you're, you're okay, you're going to make some money this year and be able to pay the loan back. So that's what we, we're talking about here. You know, not severe financial difficulties, but they need a loan. So Deuteronomy 24, someone would like to read verses 10 through 13 for us. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbor... Do not go into their house to get what is, off, what is offered to you as a pledge. Stay outside and let the neighbor to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the neighbor is poor, do not go to sleep with their pledge in your possession. Return their cloak by sunset so that, their, that your neighbor may sleep in it. Then, you will thank, then they will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of God to the Lord your God. Okay. So... You know, you, you want some that kind of collateral. You don't go barging into their house and pick what you want. You know, you stand politely outside and say, you know, bring something out to me that, that you know, that the, the borrower considers will be adequate collateral. Um, a lot of times it might just be a cloak. You know, they may not have anything else that they can afford to give up at that time. Um, but again, it goes on and says, well, you know, if it's winter... He's going to need his cloak to sleep in. Bring it back to him that night. Would have saved time to leave with him. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, you know, why, why bother taking it in the first place? <coughs> so here's, you know, here's some regulations about how do you take collateral. Um, if staying in chapter 24 of Deuteronomy, if someone would like to read verse 6. Okay, you need the millstone to grind your grain so you can have food. You know, that's like, I think if I had to offer something from my house as collateral, you know, I'd rather give up the TV than the refrigerator. <laughs> you know, a refrigerator is essential pretty much to keep your food good. I don't need the TV. You know, <laughs> somebody can hold that. I want to get your car so you can have it work. Right, take yeah. the car and come back. Yeah, which is, yeah. 
Yeah, that's another good example, which happens. Yeah. Um, I remember um, Larry Burkett at one point talking about, you know, like, like single women who are trying to work and raise kids, that that should be a priority. The church should be looking at a loan for a car for them so that they right. can work their way. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, and that's a lot of the issues that Nehemiah is dealing with, is these people are being trapped in poverty. Um, let's go back to Exodus, one verse there, Exodus, or passage, Exodus chapter 22. Someone like to read verses 25 through 27. If you lend money to any of my people with, whom, with you who is poor, you shall not be like the money lender to them, and you shall not exact interest from them. <clears throat> if ever you take your neighbor's cloak and pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. Okay. So, so again, you know. yeah. So where's the incentive for him to pay it back? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've heard the same question all okay. the time. I'm like, why should I pay anything back now? <laughs> because as yeah. Where's the profit in that? Yeah. Right. The profit. Yeah. I, th- I think, you know... He's you know, bound by the law. Yeah. yeah. But, but it is, I mean, it's a way to... Okay, so you take what they have of value. You recognize they have something. Yes. But then you give it back because... They it, need it. it they yeah. need it. And yeah. It's a way, you know, it's a way to gent, to show generosity. Maybe it uh-huh. opens the door for a witness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, an act of grace. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's it. Yeah. I've, I've had opportunities to you know, loan money to people and <laughs> you're kind of thinking, no, well, that may, may or may not come back. You know, right. you, I, you I got to just be willing to write it. Yeah, I mean, we've looked in yeah. our lives, we yeah. said, okay, yeah. we, you know, we need this. Like, we used to have to make an annual payment. So we could, you know, we could, we had some money, but. But at the end of the year, we had to make this big payment on our property. Yeah, yeah. So you might as well keep the, your Bibles open back in the Pentateuch because we'll be back there. So, so these are these you know short-term loans, let's call them. Uh, you know, those are some of the regulations, but collateral and short-term loans. So now let's look at the person's financial situation. He can't even repay a small loan. So now what does he do? He has to sell his property. Um, so let's look at a few regulations about this. Uh, Leviticus chapter 25. Verses uh, 23 through 28. Leviticus 25 verses 23 through 28. The land moreover not be sold permanently, for the land is mine, for you are but aliens and sojourners with me. Thus, for every piece of your property, you are to provide for the redemption of the land. If a fellow countryman of yours becomes so poor, he has to sell part of his property, then his nearest kinsman is to come and buy back what his relative has sold. Or, in case a man has no kinsman, but so recovers his means as to find sufficient for its redemption, then he shall calculate the year since its sale and refund the balance to the man to whom he sold it, and so return to his property. 
But if he has not found sufficient means to get it back for himself, then what he has sold shall remain in the hands of its purchaser until the year of Jubilee. But at the Jubilee it shall revert, that he may return to his property. Okay. So who does the property belong to? God. God. The land belongs to God. But he basically apportioned it out to families. And there's all kinds of regulations throughout the, the law about land staying with the family to whom it was given. There were some special cases about you know, the Zalafa had who had no sons to inherit the land. He had daughters. So the land passed to the daughters. But if they married someone from another tribe, there'd be problems. They had to marry their cousins to keep the land within that tribe because that's where God wanted it. So he regulated that quite closely. Um, we have laws in our own real estate market that guard, that guard farmers against this. Uh-huh. And I don't know all the particulars, but if you lose your farm, you know, uh-huh. and someone repossesses it, there's like after two or three years, the farmer can redeem it back. So they really okay. can't, they can't do anything with that for several years. Uh-huh. Right. It, it okay. has to be working farms. I don't know all the writing, all the stuff. I know that it's really hard to sometimes get loans on farms mm-hmm. because of the redemption factor that they really can't do anything with it if they have to repossess it. And so uh-huh. okay. it kind of, kind of governs some of the, the farm laws. So. So that's some of the similar ideas here. Right. Um, so it's important to God that the land be able to go back to the family. And there's so there's um, uh, provisions here. And if the person manages to work, make the money, he has the right to buy it back. He has first right to buy it back. If he can't, um, then we see, uh, I can't remember if this is the property or not, a kinsman can redeem the land for him. That's what the book of Ruth is about. Boaz redeems the property for Ruth and Naomi. He goes and pays, pays off the debt. The property he then gives back to his kinsmen. So there's all these provisions for returning the property to the original owner, including the year of Jubilee. So every 50 years, all the land goes back to the original owners. It's a great big redo. Everything starts over again every 50 years. All of, yeah, reset. Reset, yeah. That's uh, in chapter 25 still. Someone would like to read verses 15 through 17. Corresponding to the number of years after the Jubilee, you shall buy from your friend. He is to sell to you according to the number of years of crops. In proportion to the extent of the years, you shall increase its price, and its proportion to the fewness of the years, you shall diminish its price. For it is a number of crops he is selling to you. Is that how far? How far? Uh, verse 17 also. So you shall not wrong one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am the Lord your God. Okay, this is kind of something Joe mentioned earlier. They're not really selling the land. They're selling the crops. Every 50 years, the land goes back. You know, if you're five years away from Jubilee, you're selling five years of crops. You're not selling land. If you're 45 years, you can get nine times as much money because you're selling 45 years worth of crops. So the land remains uh, God's, and, and he has those 
regulations about it. Okay, so those are for the people who have land. Um, real quick, we'll talk about the people who don't even have land. So what do they sell? They don't have any way of paying back a loan. They don't have any possessions. They don't have any land. What do they do? They sell themselves as bond servants. Basically, they give their labor. Um, and that's something that we've already spent quite a bit of time talking about, you know, treating servants, treating slaves. I do have one passage to look at here because, again, after six years, the owner has to let them go and forgive the debt. So that's also regulated. Deuteronomy chapter 15. <coughs> Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 15. Would someone like to read verses 12 through 15? If any of your people, Hebrew men or women, sell themselves to you and serve you six years, on the seventh year you must let them go free. And when you release them, do not send them away empty-handed. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your winepress. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Okay. you got to let them go after six years, but you don't just kick them out the door with nothing on their back but their coat. You have to give them from your flock. You have to give them a herd of sheep. Um, your threshing floor, there's grain, wine vat, you give them wine. You know, sure basic... Pardon? I'm not sure it has to be a whole herd. You don't have to give a whole herd. <laughs> yeah. And he says, proportionally, as the Lord your God has blessed you. If, you're, if God has really blessed you, you've got to bless others. You know, that's, that's the point he makes here. And, and finally, remember, you were slaves in the land of Egypt. God brought you out of Egypt. He has, he's, you know, and he's, he's told them, you're going into a land with houses you did not build, with vineyards you did not plant, I'm just giving them to you. I'm being gracious to you. That is how you are to treat each other. God gives himself as the example here. So, also in all these cases, God gives provision for them to either work their way out of their indebtedness, for a kinsman to redeem them, or after a certain period of time to have their debts forgiven altogether. So, the problem, though, in Nehemiah's time was that the wealthy were abusing all these laws. They were trapping their fellow Hebrews into debt. And that was the problem. And so we didn't spend much time on the actual verse. <laughs> so, so we'll start up on that. That's the background behind it. Um, um, Joe, would you like to close in prayer for us? Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. What you have spoken in the past that still speaks to us today. We thank you for that. We thank you for your unchangingness of your nature and how you um, are the same yesterday and tomorrow. Thank you for that. So we just want to thank you for this word, this message today. We pray for the next message time that Robert brings forward. And then we want to thank you for the, for the Ukraine and the um, situation going there for the, the believers who are being trapped or caught. And the Ukraine is one of the um, countries in, the, in the Europe that is sending out missionaries constantly. And so we know there's, there's believers there. And we just want to pray for that situation and your safety for those. Your pressure and Amen.